0: What is up, you sexy bastards? It is your boy Austin, Texas, aka Rob aka Noah Kagan. We're doing more questions because you got questions, and I think I have some answers. This is number eleven. We have three questions: one from Alan, Logan, and Caleb. Questions are going to be around YouTube. Another question is going to be around money. Oh, you know that's my love language. And number three: bootstrapping, app sumo, marketplace, network effect—big questions. If you have questions about your business life, what to even have for lunch, go to okdoor.com/slash/askNoah. Submit your question. I'm going to answer it in a future episode. I love you. Have a great day. Let's get it on. Question number one from Alan Gertzen. What up, Alan? He said, hey, Noah, love your YouTube videos, Alan. I love people who watch my videos. I just started my sales coaching business and got my first three clients. Dude, that's awesome. I'm currently building out my website on WordPress and was wondering what to offer as a lead magnet." It's Magnet. I was trying to speak French. Given that I'll be offering a service and not a product, what types of lead magnets are best for people who are offering services? There. So my first take is, how did you get your first three clients? Because what you're thinking you need is a website to do what you're already doing. And I would really just focus on keep doing that before you even build a website. Uncle Noah's going to tell you a story here. There's a company called Kickflip. I started it while I was working at Mint. It was my side hustle. I did it in mornings, at lunches, at nights, weekends. And I built this gaming company. It grew, quit my job, ran games. And then we started building payments for that game, which is a whole other story I won't get into. But the short kind of interesting part of that story, Alan, is we built this company called Gamba that did payments for games. And we did not have a website for about 12 months. And in that 12 months, we did around $30 million, 30 million. And what's crazy is we didn't have a website. Now, I think people get real excited to have websites because that's what we do if you wanna make that passive income, internet million money that people talk about in those dropshipping commercials on YouTube. But the reality is that if you can accomplish what you wanna accomplish, that's really what's most important. And so if you're able to get three clients, what I would be focused on is how do you get three more clients and keep doing that until you finally run out of getting the clients the way you're getting it, then think about a website. A website is supposed to help you leverage getting more clients for the future. Now, the two things I would think about is one, if you're like, well, no, I'm going to keep doing it that way, but I want to build up my brand and my audience for the future. I think that's great. So I would be focusing on, can you be documenting what you're doing on YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, blog, whatever social media platform you're interested in so that you start getting awareness and attention around it. And then honestly, I wouldn't sweat the lead magnet. So for the people that are out there that don't know what a lead magnet is or lead magnet, it's basically some pitch that when you come to a website, it's like, Hey, get my 30 free tips on this, get my template get my checklist, get whatever it is. I think generally it's overrated. I think if you say, I I would even try this out, but blah, 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 give me your email. And you'd be surprised, people are just like, oh, it's that box where I'm supposed to put my email address in. Now, I I think you can do that, and it's fine. (laughs) Obviously, it's a little bit more of a joke. My suggestion, though, is just to get started and not sweat what lead magnet. It's just, for you, I would say, I help people double their sales through teaching them how to sales coach, or whatever that, so what I would do for your lead magnet, if you wanna just keep it really simple, is what's the promise you're giving to these clients, I help you double your sales effectiveness. I help you double the amount of clients you get. Whatever that is, just call that your lead magnet and say, don't miss out on my updates. That's it. Now, I think a lot of people try to get really complicated. And I think when you're at 30 or 300 or 3,000 clients and A-B testing what lead magnet you're giving might improve your conversion rate a little bit, then I would start thinking about it. But for now, you're doing awesome. Really props on the three clients, over-deliver on them, get them on retainer so you have subscription recurring revenue, And just keep doing that. And then later, worry about what your lead, Magnege. Great work, man. Question number two, Logan Woodruff. Man, awesome names. Hi, Noah. Hi, Logan. What are some expensive mistakes you've made that either cost you a lot of time or money, but shaped the way you make decisions later on? Holy shit, man. Where to begin? Well, in this podcast, we only have, you know, five hours to record it, but uh, I'll make this a multi-part series. Uh, Let me give you a few examples of expensive mistakes and interesting mistakes. Some things aren't mistakes, and what I, one of the, my favorite things is a lot of curses and things that are bad can be blessings, and a lot of blessings can be curses. So I'll give you a few just off the top of my head I think are, are interesting. One is bad hires. So bad hires, and I'll, and I'll tell you a specific person, I won't say their name, but bad hires not only cost you what the mistakes that person makes, it's an opportunity cost, and it could be a money cost. It could be an opportunity cost from actually being with someone that can really make a difference in your business. Same thing goes for a relationship. It really is about opportunity cost. If you're with someone, that's just okay. That is time wasted from you finding someone who is excellente. So we hired this person, and they wanted to do all this shit at AppSumo, and I was like, nah, bro. Okay, that sounds a little too broy. But I said, no, I don't think any of that's appropriate for our culture or the things we want to do in AppSumo. And we let that person go eventually about 11 months later. Plus, it gave him a fatty severance, which was crazy given all the mistakes and horrible things they did to the company. Unintentionally, they weren't trying to be bad. They were just doing what they thought was best, which was not best for AppSumo. And the aftermath of that mistake is we have a $100,000 LinkedIn bill that we're now disputing because they signed up for it. This person signed up for it without our knowing it. Uh, that was just one example. Another example is a lot of the people that this person hired, not all, but a lot, ended up not doing great at Absumo. And we had to unwind that, aka let them go or some other things, which is tough because it's people. And that was just two of the things that this person did among many at our company. And as well, they signed up for services. They signed up for DocuSign for a year at $3,600 a year. By the way, AppSumo.com is a software site with products at great prices. We have products that could do signing for $50 for life. So I don't know why they would go and sign up for that. And that's just a few of the ones I can recall off the top of my head. And that is just from one hire. And so the ramifications of a bad hire can be very very expensive. So that's just one. I, I think that's another thing that's an expensive mistake is not a is- mistake, but just how your preferences change. So I really wanted a fancy house and I spent all this time and two years and therapy and all this stuff and I finally got it. And I'm actually recording this episode in this house and I do love my house in Austin, Texas. But what's fascinating is that after spending the summer in Spain and coming back home, I'm like, I'm pretty happy with a two-bedroom apartment in Spain. That was 3000 ish dollars a month. And so I think what's fascinating is how your preferences can change But we get really fixated that like this one thing is the only thing that's going to make us happy. Maybe it's a house. Maybe it's a hire. Maybe it's a woman or man or boy or girl. Maybe it's whatever that is, child. uh, And it's finally going to make you happy. And then a few years later, you're like, oh, shit. Maybe I can be happy in other ways. But we get fixated that's just one-itis. So I think being mindful of that. Another mistake we make is that we don't think that things will evolve. You know, when COVID happened or when stock crashes, or when things happen. I think most, one of my mistakes that I make, and I think a lot of other people make, is that we only really think in the immediate moment. It's really hard to think six months, 12 months out. And I think if we can start thinking in that way, like, all right, COVID's happening. Can I take a step back and think in 12 months, what will likely happen? So for instance, when COVID hit, a lot of real estate was really, really cheap. And I was just in New York, I was like, damn, it'd have been sick to buy a place here during that time period. And so one of the mistakes I think I make, and a lot of people make, is that we just think that whatever happening in the current moment, is gonna happen for many moments to come. And that's really not true. And it's really taking a zoom out and be like, all right, what will happen in the next 12 months? And then then last mistake that I think a lot of people make from all these mistakes, it's mistakes. They're only mistakes really if you don't learn from it. And I hate cheesy shit like that, but it really is true. The last thing I would say is that if you make a mistake, it's thinking that mistake is definitely gonna happen again and overcorrecting for it. So let's say you're in a relationship and the person cheat on you. And then the next person you're like, well, they're definitely gonna cheat on me. So I have to find someone who's extremely loyal. I tend to think that in business, in relationships, in life, We overcorrect on the previous mistake. And so it's not to say that you shouldn't make sure that doesn't happen. But one of my favorite examples of that is that when someone comes into a store or someone does something to a business or some one person complains on Twitter, we overcorrect that like, all right, now you have to put a sticker on this on the door of the building that says everyone must wear shoes. It's like, dude, everyone wear shoes or like overcorrecting that one customer complained on Twitter about something you're doing. It's like, okay, everyone must be complaining. There might be people complaining, and that might be the case, but I think we tend to overcorrect. So I think it's just trying to be mindful and saying, is this a minor issue or is this a major issue? Oh, man, let me just keep giving a few more. I think assuming that we're always right and that we're the best. <laughs> what do I mean by that is that, you know, I, if you've heard me talk on YouTube.com slash OKDork or this podcast or on OKDork.com, our newsletter, I do tell you when you start businesses, validate them on a weekend, get three customers, make $100, don't spend any money. And I have not listened to my advice so many times. It's always a reminder that you really have to validate things as quickly as possible. We've built things like Meet Fam, which we spent a year building, give or take, and then no one really wanted to use it. I built a site called Better Cage, which is sports betting. Spent about six months on that. No one really wanted to use it. We did Sumo Market, built that for about four months. No one really wanted to use it. And so I think one of the biggest mistakes that we can make is building things, assuming they're going to work, which may or may not be true. And really not validating customers in demand very early on. So that's definitely something I see a lot of people make big time. And last thing, I'm just going to say, damn, I got so many mistakes. I think not really having epic people around you. I think at work, in your dating life, and as well as in your friendships, uh, I've definitely kept people around. And I'm sure maybe I was that for a few people as well. But having epic people around really makes a huge damn difference. Uh, we had an AppSumo Leadership Summit this week. It was interesting to step back and, and realize like how much brain power was in the room and how much they're thinking really, really intellectually and deeply about helping our partners and customers and team and what the future looks like. And that was amazing just realization. Like, I don't have to be the smartest, but I have to be around a lot of smart people. And then the ones who are dumbasses and all these other different areas, stay the hell away from them. All right, Logan, I hope that helped you out in you not making as many mistakes. Or Honestly, if you make them, just make them quick and make them cheap so you can learn from them and move beyond them. Question three from Callum Toner, or is it Toner? In the early days of AppSumo, where you were bootstrapping, what strategies used to grow your marketplace, and was it difficult to start your network effect? There's a book by one of my best friends, Andrew Chen, The Cold Start. He talks about this, so you can go check out that book. The easiest thing I did to get AppSumo going, it wasn't really a marketplace from the beginning. It was me being cheap, I call it practical and value-driven, which is what AppSumo.com still is today, looking for products that I just really wanted and I want to deal on. But the question is, how did I find other people? So almost every single one of the first 12 months of products or bundles or deals that we did, I worked backwards from a very specific audience. So let's just go one by one, and this should inspire you or kind of help you think about it for your own business. Like, uh, so initially it was like, okay, where are the customers I want and how do I make it appealing to sell and get them really, really easily? So I'll give you a few examples. First off, I was like, I really want to go on Reddit and get people from Reddit buying from me. So I got Imgur, which is really popular on Reddit, got a deal on it, promote on Reddit, got a bunch of customers. Next up, I was like, oh, Lifehacker, I love that site. So I looked through Lifehacker, I looked through the entire site and I found the most talked about products that they had and I said, and I emailed them and said, hey, if I get deals on these products and put in a bundle, will you write about it? And they said, maybe. So I went and did a productivity bundle. That was the number two thing I ever launched. Guess what? Lifehacker ended up writing about it. Got a lot of people. I think about over 100 people from Lifehacker buying it just because I had the most popular products from Lifehacker as a deal. Uh, and I kept doing this over and over and over. I'll give you a few more examples. I wanted to be on Hacker News, com. So I went and got the top Y Combinator products, Mixpanel, Optimizely featured them. Guess what? Got on Hacker News, a lot of buyers, grew Sumo. And the second part about how to get network effect going for AppSumo, especially early on, was how do I turn the people I'm trying to promote into my own promoters? So when I was doing a design bundle, I had Typekit and a bunch of other fonts and design-related products. And so what I did was say, I gave them marketing material. So I gave it to Typekit. And I said, here's an email to send to all your customers. They actually sent it out, which is crazy. And you think, well, why would they send it out? Well, the idea was they're in a bundle so it's not them giving a discount. It's like, hey, we're doing something really cool and special with a bunch of other great brands. And a lot of times I'd ask those brands, like, hey, what other brands do you want in this bundle? And then they would know other brands and they would just introduce me to them. Pretty neat, right? And so with with TypeKit, they actually sent the email and sold over a thousand of the bundles from them alone. I remember how insane it was because I was in Croatia at 4 a.m. dealing with it. Now, so if you take a step back, what's really happening? Work backwards from where the customers are. That's really important. That really made a huge difference. Number two, how do you turn your partners into your promoters? So that was a huge thing. And number three, what was amazing about AppSumo then, and still to this day, is that it was an insane deal that people wanted to talk about and wanted to share. What I noticed from a lot of other people that are doing businesses is like, no one wants to talk about your shit because it's boring and it's not interesting and it's not solving the what. What's the problem that someone has that they are so excited to give you money and stop everything they're doing right away? Hope that helps you, Cal. And if you have more marketing questions, that's one of my favorite things to talk about. Submit your questions to okdork.com slash ask Noah. This is QA number 11. I love you guys. I'll see you out there. Pew, pew. Yeah, I know. We're not doing the normal intro and outro because this is a Friday, 6.30 p.m., but I promised myself that I would get a podcast episode out this week, so hopefully Jason has time to edit it and we'll get this live for you. Have a great week. Love you. Bye.